Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode, there are three of us in the household. We have a servant. We consider also part of our family. On a daily basis, we live together. We sleep together in the same bed. But we go through tough moments too. Moments of crisis where we cry, where we're upset, angry. The words we use shape how we think ourselves. This is MasterSlaveLifestyle.com. Hello everyone. So today I've got a really good friend of mine, well, two good friends of mine, um, Boss Benjamin and Alex. Um, I knew Benjamin when he was living in Berlin around the corner from me. Um, they're now based in Canada in Montreal. Both of you, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for us. So could I ask you both to introduce yourselves and who you are and what sort of relationship you have? Uh, so I'm Benjamin. I also go by Doody Wolfie on different websites and I identify mainly as a boss and uh, Alex here is my boy uh, and we've been in that relationship for two years now. Yes. Two. Yeah. Somewhat. Almost two years. Yeah. And what else do you have to add? So I'm Alex, I'm his boy. Um, I'm also a switch, so I can enjoy dominate people, but I can also enjoy being the submissive. It really depends on the relation that I have with the other partner. And um, I can also be switched like in a fluid relation. So I can have like a relation where the roles uh, keep changing and I'm okay and good with those relations. And I'm okay with in relation where the roles are more established and they're not changing like us. Thank you. So I'd like to just do some follow-up. So um, Boss Benjamin, you say that you go by the title Boss. Could you explain a bit why you chose that and what that means for you? So there were different things. First is when I started exploring BDSM and my sexuality, as a teenager and uh, later on, I first started as a submissive. I was identifying as a pup or a boy. Um, and then I discovered domination, that I enjoyed it. And I was dominant to certain persons, submissive to others. And the dominant side took over with time. Uh, and during that progression, while I was both dom and sub, I was feeling not legitimate to be called master or sir by my submissives. Also, I was looking for something that would translate well in French, where like francophones in general are reproducing a lot what they hear in English porn movies. Uh, so the words of sir, yes, sir, are even used in French. But for me, it breaks my mood during play or even in general, like I feel it's artificial to use it in French. So in French, boss translates into chef. And I like the fact that if someone calls me chef or boss on the street, at a restaurant, etc., it can totally pass as a uh, nickname between uh, friends or something, private joke. Like no one around knows the dynamic around BDSM. So that allows more of a privacy and to not impose a kink on others while in public. And since I mostly or only dominant, uh, I still kept the title boss, mostly because of the translation reason. Also because... I've been looking for a slave for several years and I feel master would be a title for a slave I own, but it's not something I would expect casual play partner or submissive to call me. And yeah, I guess I just don't like sir because it doesn't translate well. <laughs> so if you were to get a slave, would you expect the slave to call you master and sir, or would you still want them to call you boss and chef? No, I would expect a slave to call me master, I think. Okay, cool. It, I think because 
things are also always evolving and I also adapt to the dynamic with the person, the chemistry, and uh, there are things uh, maybe it won't sound right once it happens. I don't know. Okay. And Alex, for you, when you were first meeting Boss, were you um, kind of like questioning or wondering why it was Boss not Master or was it something that was very natural for you? No, it was kind of natural for me. When he, we introduced each other, we was really clear on what we want and what we want in our relation. Since the first day, we are like established that we are both looking for a slave. So it was really clear on what he needed and what he wanted and what I needed, what I want was clear too. So it was not questioning, a questioning part for me. So you were focusing more on each other's needs and wants really than on the titles. Yes. And... I would say it's not about the titles, but the words we use shape how we think ourselves. And it's still important to talk about those words, but they don't define everything. And what I find often difficult in the community is how uh, people tend to follow stereotypes and to reproduce things thinking that everyone has to fit in the same mold. And that uh, there is a archetypal master and slave and uh, you have to fit in either one of those two boxes and to fit a certain checklist of uh, characteristics in each. And this is helpful to think, oh, am I more like this? Am I more like that? It's helpful. It's just not everything. And when we met, we discussed mainly Yes, our needs, our desires, our goals. It was clear for both of us from the beginning that we wanted to build a family where we'd be more than two people. And then we discussed what kind of role, in which kind of roles we were seeing each other in and also what kind of role we would think the next person joining us could fit in. And that's by discussing that, that we thought that the next natural step for us would be to search for a slave together that would be submissive to both of us. Those labels and titles helps in terms of defining the hierarchy, but yeah. you put into them whatever you want. Each of us wants to put in them. So, yeah. Thank you. And uh, Alex, I think you are the first person that's identified as a switch on the podcast. So um, mm -hmm. how um, did you get to realize that you were more a switch rather than, let's say, a top or master or slave or submissive? What was that sort of journey okay. to identify yourself? I don't know if I have a journey about that because I realized really late in my life that I wasn't BDSM. And so I didn't have like that journey where you uh, watch a lot of porns and a lot of things and you, uh, you think that you need to be one of the other. I start my sexuality at uh, 25 and I'm 30, 31 right now. So it was pretty late in my life. So I was already like, I had already self-conscious and self-knowing about who I am and what I want in my life. So... That's translates into my sexuality. I didn't know that it was something that it was not acceptable that to want to be both sides. <laughs> I did learn that later <laughs> uh, because everyone said to me, oh, no, you're more, but I'm are you more sub or you're more and more dumb. You have to choose. No, I don't have to choose and I will not. <laughs> but uh, when I realized that it was a subject that people want to categorize. categorize it's where i was starting to thinking why i am switch because i'm always thinking i am switch and maybe because for me the root of what i like in the bdsm relationship is because i do have a lot of uh, social anxiety and in a bdsm relationship you have roles and you have like discussion and you have like uh, what do you want? What do you need in your life? And a lot of compassion and a lot of uh, understanding of each other, which reduce my anxiety level to really minimums. Uh, so either in the both side, if I am a sub, I just have to let go. And if I'm dumbing, I just have to take responsibility and take the care of everything. And 
that make me more simple because I'm in charge. Thank you. It's really strange because um, I love him the fact she's like, I'm not going to be put into a pigeon box. I am who I am and I'm going to explore that. <laughs> uh, but it's really strange because I'm coming from England and um, I don't mean to offend anyone who is legitimately a switch in England, but quite often you'll find <laughs> people who say I'm a switch, but actually they're 100% submissive and they feel that there's something wrong with admitting that they want to be a submissive. So you get a lot of people say I'm 50-50 or a switch and then people will play with them and find out, oh no, no, you're a complete bottom rather than someone that really likes to do both of it or as you said, during the play, switch from the one role to and the other during it. So it's really interesting to hear this from you, given my experience from in the UK. Yeah, we got that a lot. <laughs> and but there is also the opposite phenomenon, I think, of he advertising himself as a switch and ending up doming ninety yeah. percent of the time because there is so much more demand of subs looking for domination uh, than the opposite. And it's strange because after Claw, I can vouch how good a top you are as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, um, you do it a lot, Alex. <laughs> uh, yeah. As you say, I'm not sure if I will say it like what you wanted to say, but in Montreal, there is a shortage in dumbs. They have a lot of subs here. Uh, I do end up most of my time dumbing. But I like it like 50-50. So I have like that miss in me to submit to people. And because I am dumbing and I'm, I don't want to say that I am good in that, but like I enjoy doing it. Like I really enjoy dumb people's. So when I am subbing, I'm a little bit more peculiar on what kind of domination that I want to receive. And yeah, that's closed me doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange. I've actually spoken to a few people about that recently, about how when you get to talk more like a dom, it's hard then to talk to a master because there's a certain way of talking that doesn't quite work with them. I haven't come up with a solution to it, but I've suddenly become aware of this being an issue with a few people over the last few months. So you're not yeah. alone with that. <laughs> Um, yeah. Would you like to talk a bit about how it works within your household with the two of you? So what is the sort of dynamic you have? How does it work in a practical basis, let's say, from a day-to-day -day point of view? So, yeah, the, currently there are three of us in the household. We have a servant, domestic servant. We consider also part of our family. He's not here first. He doesn't speak English, uh, so that wouldn't help much. Also, he's a much more private person and wouldn't feel like he's being on camera. So in a, on a daily basis, we live together. Uh, we sleep together in the same bed. We also are both entrepreneurs who work from home, so we spend a lot of our time together. Uh, we help each other in... Uh, each other's businesses. So our ideal would be for our family to be self-sufficient. We don't want to have to report to other authorities. <laughs> so we don't want to have a work boss to have to ask permission for holidays or for going to the doctor or whatever. Like uh, We see if that's compatible with our own schedules and that's it. And also... Very often we get asked by potential slaves, oh, but how would it work if I joined your household because I can't leave my job, uh, I have a career, etc. And And for us, it's okay. Most people think of uh, working and earning money only as a salaried job, but never as building a business uh, or joining a family business. And so for us, that's the way we see it, is uh, we would ideally have a family dynamic where additional people either live with us or work with us, but also other family members as our domestic servant who doesn't leave. He doesn't live with us. He just comes to our house uh, a few times a week. And 
Sometimes he stays overnight uh, sleeping in the cage under our bed because we have a huge bandage bed with a cage underneath for sleeping. Um, but he doesn't share our daily life every day with us. Uh, so there is room for like intimate family members, live-in family members, and people who are more uh, satellites uh, and or more or less distant from us. I have a picture of, let's say, a, a solar system, and you have like the inner planet, <laughs> planets, yeah, and Pluto, and so you have different members taking different roles within within the solar system. Uh, yeah, and on a daily basis, the thing is, as head of the family, I take care of uh, making sure the family runs well, that things are taken care of, and. As my boy, he takes care of me and I take care of him. It goes both ways. It's not one is at the service of the other and the other has nothing to do. Like we both contribute to the other with our own strength and trying to meet the needs of everyone. And I would say the same for our servant. We take care of him in the way he told us that he needed us to take care of him. But also sometimes he's not able to express it, but we know sometimes a bit better than him if he gets moody or disorganized and we see, oh, now you need a break in the cage. We will go rest and relax and come back rested. And it's not because these kind of moments are not seen as punishment. It's just we try to read the needs of everyone around us and to make them comfortable and fit for that moment. And stay in a good headspace. To, yeah. to, to make it simple, uh, as the head of the family, take care of the family administration, mm. I take care of him mainly to feed him, to, to get him relaxed, to have emotional support. Uh, and Alfred uh, take care of the house. And I mm. take care of Alfred education. Yeah. Of what education, sorry? Alfred, our servant. Ah, My name is okay. Alfred. Like so Batman's... Uh, in Batman, what's the profession of Alfred? Alfred. Call that in Butler. Butler, yeah. yeah. So you're sort of training him on how to be a good butler and servant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> there is a lot to teach. <laughs> there is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of spoke about you wanting to make sure that the family runs well. Can you give an example of something you do to make sure that that's occurring? Oh, uh, things we do. I mean... For me, like it's uh, for to do follow-ups on finances, filing taxes, uh, uh, renewing his uh, driving license, my driving license. Like dealing with paperwork in general ends up in my hands. And social life, okay. chatting with people. Oh yeah, because of his social anxiety for Alex, like communication and messaging is harder than for me. For me, it's not super easy, but I handle it. So often he will tell me, oh, we need to message that friend we've not seen him in a while, which means that I should message that friend that we've not seen in a while. So I'm the, the, the communication manager for the family, I would say. And that extends to his business also when uh, he needs to write to suppliers or to business people, and I will do most of the messaging most of the time. And to make sure the family runs well, so that's more on a very administrative point of view, but we try also, we're not far from perfect on that side, but when we see that our mood is low, we discuss a lot on how we can improve it, whether by uh, finding new activities, sometimes it's just by sharing positive thoughts to each other. We had that game for a while at dinner where we had each to say a good news of the day and we cannot repeat the same good news as the other person. So sometimes the good news of the day is uh, I had ice cream or another day is uh, I got a big contract from a client. It can be very different things. Um, and just to help us keep a positive spirit and to insist of what works for us. But we go through tough moments too and have 
moments of crisis where we cry, where we are upset, angry, but we talk a lot about those things. So we try to go to the core of them and to entangle what makes us feel uh, moody or sad. And I would say, like, it's a very mundane thing to say, but communication, <laughs> communicating a lot uh, is what we do to make it work on the long run. Also, I think it's to make sure to respect what the other needs and to respect the fact that it may not come from me and what I need may not come from him. So is to see what is my right spot, what can I bring to him and uh, what I cannot bring to him, where else can he get it? And to also put the right context in place so that he can get those things elsewhere. It's not just to say, yeah, it's fine if you go find them. Uh, it's to leave the room for that to happen. Yeah, so you're very proactive in making sure that the needs are fulfilled, even if I'm not sure yeah. I'm super proactive, but when the needs manifest themselves, like we listen to them. And yeah. I don't think we're so that... Uh, we wish. We wish we were, but we monitor our mood, I would say, and we are responsive. Like we, we pay attention, we try to be present and conscious of what happens relatively quickly. <laughs> it's interesting because um, I'm hearing you say that communication is very important, but it kind of sounds like there's a very attentive listening as well. So to what you might be saying to each other, but also what might not be said, but a behavior someone has, okay, this means something we need to put the servant in, in a page. But there's also a fluidity to what you're talking about as well, that you aren't trying to be too prescriptive, but you try and go with a flow by doing that attentive listening. Isn't that a good yes. summary? It's a good summary. I would say, because communication is not just verbal communication, it's also nonverbal. And communication is both listening and speaking sending the message, receiving it. So when uh, the example I gave earlier about uh, Alfred being moody and sending him to the cage, like even if he doesn't talk to us, he sends us a message that something is wrong and we have to pay attention to that. And we have to adapt that listening. Sometimes it's to listen to nonverbal cues and sometimes it's to listen to what the other person has to say. But it's just not to listen, it's to create the space for the conversation to happen. Sometimes it's, the conversation don't happen necessarily by themselves. Like you have to start them and say, oh, uh, we need to talk about this or we need to talk something always so serious and negative. But I think we should talk about that topic. We've not chatted about it in a while and we need an update. Yeah, this kind cool. of thing. And um, Alex has mentioned that you take care of boss. So can you give uh, some examples of how you do that? How do you listen attentively and fluidly give him what he wants? It's more giving him what he needs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for a technical point, I feed him. I make food here. He cooks um, very well. <laughs> so I'm very lucky on that time. I rub his back every day, I give him massage, a uh, lot of care. The basic of caring care of him is like being his emotional support. Uh, I don't know if uh, you want to talk yeah. about that, but... Yeah, I have lots of anxiety on a daily basis. So I can have panic attacks, I can have uh, moments of absence in terms of like intellectual presence, like sometimes I will just lose uh, connection to the reality. So in those moments, like he pays attention to me and will ask me what I need and I'll come for a hug. Sometimes it's just that I need to, to be I, alone. I, yeah, or I'm anxious and I need to be told that everything is going to be all right. And he tells me that everything's going to be all right. <laughs> uh, so these kind of moments, like, I would not reduce taking care of me to moments of crisis because he does it all the time. In the same way, 
I would say, take care of him all the time. And in his moments of crisis, it's just that they don't manifest the same way for both of us. So we just try to adapt to what the other one needs in those moments. Thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, there is this sort of fantasy that the master or the boss is the superhuman that doesn't need any help or support. And I think it's really important um, for more people like you to kind of speak about it. You know, um, I've actually got another master that's interested in coming on to the podcast who just took on a slave and then went into depression and he wants to talk about his experience of that. And mm. another master who's sort of burning out on kink and is trying to figure out how to reinvigorate that. So there mm. is a lot of people, there's a lot of tops masters out there that do suffer from this, but it's not spoken about. So really thank you for being open about this. I think it's a really important discussion. I think in the BDSM gay community, we have built a lot of the image we project ourselves into commonly based on art like Tom of Finland or porn that we watch on the internet, Twitter, Tumblr, whatever is uh, the medium of the time. And in those, like in social media in general, people tend to only display what is positive and fun and works and human life is part of, has ups and downs. So we are not always at top of our performance. We're not always the best persona we can be. We're not always the best uh, fantasy object we can be for a sub either as a dom. And it's how you cope with those different moments of intensity. Also in terms of Myself, uh, what I've been uh, dealing with a lot uh, since I got to know Alex is uh, lots of uh, variations in terms of uh, sex appeal and libido. So in the moments that I don't feel any sex drive or any desire, it's how does he get what he needs if his sex drive is high and mine is low? And that's not always easy. Like we're still figuring out uh, how to make it work in those moments, but we talk about it. We look for solutions. I seek for help with uh, health professionals. He gets help by getting other people doming him when I'm not in that mindset. So in a relationship like we have, which is uh, 24-7, like uh, home life, work life, and uh, bed life, and social kink, everything together, like we have at some point to differentiate our sexual needs from our, and when we say sexual, it's not, we take sex as a very broad term, uh, whereas the brain is the main sex organ. So all those needs coexist and they don't have to be met by each other for everything for each of us. So we want each of us to be important in all those needs. So I want Alex to be important in my sex life and in my daily life, in my professional life. And also he can be important in all those, but it doesn't have to be the one meeting a hundred percent of my needs in all those areas. And the same goes the other way. So how does each one meet those needs is what we work on continuously and it's also about how to deal with the variations because maybe at a moment i have a tremendous energy and alex too and we can have a super intense play time for days in a row and that's fun but maybe at another time that's not the case anymore and we have to adapt what we do and what we bring to each other like it's something that evolves over time it's strange because I'm finding that as well at the moment because I'm for eight weeks in a 24-7 situation with um, two masters. 
And it's strange, I really resonates with me because I got here and the first thing I caught COVID and then gave it to the entire household. So we're mm-hmm. really dealing with some of these raves and variations because of the tiredness and stuff that people have been having, you know, mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out what can we do this week? How do mm-hmm. we deal with the adjusting of mindsets? You know, because you can imagine mm-hmm. me just coming into a household. I haven't quite got into subspace, and now I haven't three weeks later. So, how um, do we manage that? How do we break mm-hmm. the routine a bit? Um, yeah. But it kind of feels like something we're all having to be attentive to and listen, like what you have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I also kind of found, like, just as I was starting here, I've been having to be very clear about some of my triggers and my trauma. Like at one point I was like, well, I'm 95% certain you're not trying to manipulate me, but I've got this 5% being really frightened of it based on an experience with a past master that traumatized me. Can we have Mm -hmm. a discussion about this? It's completely irrational, I know, Mm -hmm. but I need to have the discussion to calm myself down. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of found that going into this 24-7 situation that there's also these kind of trigger points and stuff that need to have a lot of talking around. Yeah. And everyone arrives in a relationship with their own traumas and triggers. And I think it's a duty to take them into account and to acknowledge them. It's also important to know how far you can go in respecting the other person triggers because Alex might be able to accommodate my triggers to some extent, but there might be a, and there is a point where it's too much for him to cope Mm -hmm. with. And he told me a few times, Oh, uh, I can't be your therapist. Uh, (laughs) Like he can take care of me. And that's true that there is a limit where it's outside of what he can do or even outside of what he wants to, because that's not the kind of relationship he wants. And, it's my job to go seek that elsewhere. So you make sure there's still boundaries there. This is a boundary. Yeah, of what there can still be, yes, there can still be a boundary. And I would give another example that I realized recently chatting with uh, someone online who they were identifying as a police dog. And dog training is a big fetish of mine, but police is a big trigger for me mm-hmm. uh, and for Alex too. And so for me, dealing with someone who's one of his main fetish is uh, police uniforms and and police role play or whatever, for me, is too triggering to get involved with. Even if that person is super nice and maybe uh, on paper, uh, maybe their life project would fit with us super well about building a kinky family and et cetera. I totally respect that a person in the gay community wants to reappropriate the powers that police took from us by fetishizing the uniform. And I think it's a wonderful way to reclaim the power that has oppressed or and is continuing in many places to oppress our community. However, I know I can't go there. So I respect the way you experience it, but that's my trigger. And that's a place I won't be able to make for you because of my own traumas and maybe i will evolve on that with time but at the moment that's where i am so that's what i'm saying about uh, you can accommodate other people's traumas and triggers to some extent but everyone has a limit somewhere and we can acknowledge and respect them and say i want you to take care of yourself and to be taken care of because everyone deserves to be taken care of but that's something on which i cannot help you where i won't be able to be present for you I can relate to that as well, that there's (laughs) someone that I was once speaking to and they like the word daddy, you know, although I know that's an important part of your identity. It's not one that I can do because my experience is, is that okay? You know, because it's just like, no, that is a place that I will not go to. Um, It's just too triggering for me, you know, and they're like, no, no, it's fine. (laughs) You know, there's many other things I want to connect with you about, but not that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. One more question right. while we're on this. Um, so you kind of spoke about moments of crisis. So uh, when you do have a moment of crisis. How do the two of you deal with that? Huh. It, it depends. <laughs> um, 
sometime uh, if one of us have a, a moment of crisis because I'm tired, you know, everything. It is what you're talking about? Or? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes the ones who are in crisis are able to express what you need. Yeah. So that's the best. That's the best. You ask, what do you need? And he says, oh, I need to, when he has a lot of anxiety, he needs to space Bandage. Bandage for me, <laughs> resolve everything. Or long hot shower. Or long shower. Yeah, shower is good. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it had happened too that I offered him like, okay, I will tie you up, put you in a straight jacket, and said and no. It was no, no. And it was at some moments it works. It was good for him, and at others he told me no, that's not. It's not okay now to use that tool for this. Yeah. So when the other one is able to express uh, the what they need is the best, uh, and when they don't. We try the tools one by one. We try. <laughs> we do. Uh, <laughs> we, we try what has worked in the past. We have a toolbox that have already works because we take care of each yeah. other. So we have a lot of tools, and we try the more common tools. And if it doesn't work, we try another one. Yeah. Did you have to build up that that toolbox when you first met and were living with each other? Did you have to do some investigation to figure <laughs> out? What are the things? There were some things that we were able to say from the start. Say, oh, I want to let you know that this kind of thing can happen to me, and in those circumstances, I generally like X uh, to feel better. But it's very limited to what you know works for you and what the other observes of you on a daily basis. Then it was more by experience of living, and also because we met during the pandemic, like we were really living with each other uh, more intensely in an isolated way. So by being able to observe the other one all the time, we learn what works for them and what doesn't. So there is also lots of feedback experience going into play there to learn. Like when he says we have a toolbox, I think it's a very structured way to say it, which is uh, very realistic, but we didn't meet uh, on the first day saying, so what do we put in our toolbox to help each other? Like Yes and no. On the first day, I have some crisis. Yeah. For, and that's happened in that yeah. time. And you, you can, can use, use that, yeah. that, that. Yeah. Because I know it. Yeah. So. But even what I mean is even by saying that from the beginning, there were still surprises yeah. of, oh, this is happening. Like. He had major social anxiety. He left a party in the middle and I didn't know where he was. And it was his own birthday party. So like oh, yeah. to have someone missing, uh, you really wonder, is he okay? And what is something I should be concerned with or what I shouldn't and where he will find his own way back to a good state? Like it takes experience and yeah, we go through the crisis one by one and Either we have the right tool at time, or if we don't, we learn for the next time. <laughs> Thank you. And then going back to something you said um, a little while ago. So you kind of said that you don't want to have bosses, you know, that you want to be in control of um, yourself. Why is that important mm -hmm. to you? To us both, or you mean uh, yeah. profession professionally? Um, to you within this, let's say, master-slave or boss-switch dynamic why is it important not to have bosses well for me first like professionally i made the experience several times of being an employee and every time has been a failure in the sense that i ended up unhappy or was from the start depending on the experience but even in those where i was happy and some at some point i realized that i need a great degree of autonomy and freedom in what I do and how I organize my days, that's for me. Then I would say, and then Alex can say for himself, but to me, the fact that Alex doesn't have a work boss is very pleasing in the sense that I don't feel my authority is in competition with somebody else who didn't really earn it, like beside being in the right office at the moment he works for X company. Uh, so I think to me, it strengthened our relationship because 
if I want to do an activity with them, it doesn't depend on somebody else's needs or like monetary desires for productivity at a given moment. So I think we're able more to concentrate on us as a family because we don't have those external constraints or authorities to respond to. But maybe for yourself, like, why is that important? Or is it important for you to not have a boss uh, for work? Or I don't know. I'm, I have um, from my mother a lot of positive vibe. My mother always said to us that you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Don't be an employee. Be your own boss. So for me, just natural to like to not have a boss for work because work for me is like something really an important part of your life. It's what makes bring you like everything that you have. So, and I would also add in terms of like to connect that topic with the topic of uh, community of the master slave and BDSM community for both of us, uh, kink is a huge part of our lives and we don't see ourselves able to tame it down as much as being able to make it silent 40 hours a week. So myself, I'm a lawyer and I work for myself. I have lots of clients that I serve in the LGBTQ plus community. And also some are kinky friends, uh, some are not, but I don't have to hide who I am all the time that I'm working. I can be myself in my home office and I can go network, represent my own brand uh, to professional meetings, wearing my leather kilt and my septum piercing. And I have no one to answer to who will tell me, oh, I fear that won't please our clients, and meaning their clients. Uh, because if a client doesn't want to hire me for who I am, I don't want to serve them either. Anyway, there is a need of trust in a, any business relationship, but even more when someone like a lawyer has to advocate for your rights. So for me, it's important to be true to myself so that when the trust is established, like the person knows who they're dealing with. And I think Alex can tell how we solve that need, professional need with what you do now as a job. Please, please, please do. I think <laughs> it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, as you said, for us, King is a really big part of our lives. So, uh, a years ago, no, not a years, six months ago, nine, nine months ago, <laughs> in between. Yeah, about nine months ago, Alex decided to resign from. He had a non-King related job with uh, IT and geology, so. Nothing, there could be kink-related stuff in it, but there wasn't. <laughs> and uh, he quit that to start his own business, uh, designing his own rubber bondage gear. So he designed them, produced them, sell them, and that has been his main occupation now. For him, it's even more intense than for me, because me, it's just for not hiding who I am. For him, his professional activity is directly kink related. Uh, so he lives in it all the time. I'm happy to help. It's very funny to do uh, research and development of new products and to <laughs> test the new paddles on subs to see if they hit right. And <laughs> but he was at this stage in his life where he felt, oh, I want King to take a, a, big big, part. a bigger part in my life and to have my main occupation directly linked with it. So it's a big privilege that we have to be able to make those decisions because it starts from a place of comfort where we had the financial security to start our businesses, where we had the, the right context around us to do it. So uh, we don't pretend it's a universal solution to integrate personal and kink life, but it's the one that so far has worked for us. Thank you. Do you want to give the web address for the company? <laughs> oh, so uh, the company's name is Vilain Garçon, V-I-L-A-I-N 
G-A-R-C-O-N.ca. And uh, we try to be present at different fetish events. We were at Claw in Cleveland. And uh, our next planned event should be uh, MIR, Mr. International Rubber in okay. Chicago in November. And no, we go to Folsom. Oh, and we, we work on going to Folsom Berlin in September before that. Excellent. Uh, the, the logistical challenges. One we will. <laughs> We will put the link in in the show notes, and I really recommend um, having a look at their stuff. I saw it at Claw, and it's very well thought through, very well made, and amazing to play in. I can oh, also, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was the prototype model for something, and I very much enjoyed. Do <laughs> <laughs> <We> remember it well? <laughs> um, and that's a topic we had discussed, Phil, you and me, in the past. I would still advertise, so my law firm is justhuman.ca <laughs> because I have, no, but I'm saying that because uh, I do mostly immigration work and other fields of law, but Canada is still a very safe place for LGBTQ people to come live. And it's very hard to make your way into the immigration system. And one topic we had the... Uh, discussed is how do we make it work legally if we are a family of more than two? And there are lots of things when you try to plan for the future of a family on the long term and onto the security of everyone involved that involves law at some point, whether it's healthcare, retirement, uh, disability insurance, so many things. And we both define ourselves as polyamorous. And last year, last winter, we decided to get married. And for us, it was an administrative status that we were happy to sign on because at that moment, it was making things easier for us in our needs. But one of the things we discussed was, okay, at some point, uh, we might have someone else joining the family and maybe we will need to get divorced because what will be more needed will be the, a marriage with them for X, Y, Z legal reason. And it's part of the things we discuss. And I know there are needs in the kink community and in the master slave community. How do you make it work legally? I mean, I would think that most of the time Masters would care, I would think ideally, about this, the legal and financial security of the slave. But someone entering into a master-slave relationship, even as a slave, could need to wonder, okay, how do I make it work so that I'm secure if that relationship ends? What are my uh, fallback options? Uh, how do I make sure I'm not... Uh, as you said earlier, you can have fears, and I'm sure you're not the only one having fears of being uh, taken advantage of or manipulated. And very often things like money or legal rights uh, don't come into the conversation easily, either because they're a taboo or because people will just forget about them because there are so many other aspects to discuss when you start dom-sub or master-scale dynamic. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I'm preaching for my own uh, church, but the legal aspect seems very important to me too. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's a very important subject and it's something I want to cover either in articles or as another podcast mm -hmm. episode later this year um, mm -hmm. because I think it's very important about how do you make it work in a polyamorous household, especially if you're looking at being there for life you having it mm -hmm. as a relationship how does it work you know if the one member owns a flat do they cash that in and bring it to the household or do they keep it as security yeah does it legally yeah. or work and then visas immigration a lot of us don't live close to each other so these are also yeah. very important subjects yeah, absolutely yeah and i see after uh we had been approached by a potential slave who uh, told us, 
But who are those people who are ready to move in right away? Are they just out of jail? <laughs> uh, he was asking that like in a jokingly way. Like he said, I have a flat, I have furniture, I can't abandon that. And there is a, also a very logistical question behind it. Like yeah. in what uh, sequence do you do things? And I've also seen many people restricting themselves to do things in a painful way because they didn't know their options and also their legal options. Like, oh, but there is a way you can achieve that goal by not doing all this crazy sequence of actions. Like you could just uh, sign this type of paper and you're good for an extra year. And But knowing your options, like give you freedom to explore the dynamics that we have tend to be relatively uh, uncommon. And so we're always at the fringe of something. Uh, we work on the margins. And so you need to know your options so that, oh, that's the right exception that will fit the kind of dynamic I want. So I was thinking also, uh, I know we have friends who are in a dumb sub dynamic where the dom has children from a previous uh, companion. And in this kind of, I don't know how far they want to go, but depending in Canada, in which province you live, it can be easier to include his new boy into his existing family in one province than in another, because some provinces recognize multiple parents to a child or multiple parental obligations from different adults in a poly household and some other provinces don't. But when you don't know your options, you think you're obliged to stick in a rigid box and it can make things much more complicated. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's a really important point. Now we're coming up to the end of the podcast. So is there anything more that you would like to say that you haven't? Yeah, but first, I, uh, to thank you for the podcast, because I think it's great that there is space to explore the diversity of relationships and also to talk about them in a non-sexualized context where we can talk about the things as they happen and not that as we fantasize them. Uh, so I think it's very beneficial. And if there are people who are interested in uh, joining a bully household <laughs> Montreal. in Montreal, in Canada, <laughs> we're looking for additional members to our family. And ideally, the first role we would like to join us would be in a slave position. Uh, so you can reach us on uh, Recon. Our nickname Twitter. is Woofy House. And on Twitter, we're Femi Woofy, Femi in French. And yeah. Please join us. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll also put those links into the show notes. Thank you. Both of you, thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us. And I really thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great day. If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. You can now support the podcast, website, and Master Slave community through Patreon membership. Receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops, and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the Master Slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full-time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening.